in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey folks, it's Mark LaCour and this is the show for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode four. Joining me today is my skilled co-host, Patrick Pister. How are you doing today, Patrick? Excellent, Mark. How are you? Uh, the 4th of July is over with. Uh, nobody got injured by fireworks. We didn't eat too much. Uh, good, good, good middle of the week. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to see after the fireworks in the neighborhood, everybody was uh, raking up their their spent uh, ordinances. <laughs> that, that actually is, you know, you, you bring it up, it's actually a really good practice. Um, just about a week or so ago, I was actually going to Starbucks and the median was on fire, like the grass. <laughs> and it was small enough that I thought maybe I could stop and put it out myself, but I go, yeah, and maybe because there's a fire department on the way to Starbucks. So I stop at the fire department and I walk in and I said, there's a grass fire in the median. And they look at me, they go, really? I go, yeah. They go, we don't usually have walk-ins. And I go, well, it's just easier <laughs> to try to call you. And so they, they geared up and they went out there and they put the little grass fire out. But yeah, if, um, by the process of raking up your spent ordnance when you're shooting fireworks, you ensure that you're not leaving anything smoldering. So probably a good best practice. Exactly. And kudos to you for stopping and uh, taking the time to let somebody know when you saw a hazard. Yeah, well, you know, it's not every day you see the median on fire. <laughs> now, my <laughs> thing is, how long had it been burning, and why did nobody else report it? Uh, somebody else will get it. Somebody else will get it. <laughs> you know, so good stuff. And, and you know, good that our, our fire department, or uh, our, our first line of defenders are actually so proactive, right? As soon as I told them where it was, they, t- they, they suited up and they were out probably, in, I'm not kidding you, less than 45 seconds. They are out the door. So, you know, they did really great responding to that so quickly. I'm sure they were surprised to see you walk on in. <laughs> you know, it's like a hair salon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they said, we don't usually get walk-ins. Um, yeah, so speaking of firemen, you know, most places, the firemen actually live in the station while they're on duty. And I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about something similar uh, in the oil and gas industry. That's living quarters. Living quarters. It's uh, If you got a brand new rig, they're usually pretty nice, but there are a lot of old ones out there that are – uh, they're okay. They're, they're a good place to keep you out of the rain. Yeah. Well, I was surprised when we, when I did that rig tour recently, the rig, the top side of the rig that we toured actually had a gym and it's like, this is really cool. Cause you know, the last time I went offshore, there's no way there would have been a gym on a rig. Gyms. And now they've got, you know, these golf simulators. You can, you know, they got a full driving range on some of these floating vessels out there for the guys to, you know, hang out in their downtime or some of them sneak away on tower. So how cool is that, right? You can not that I'm a golf player, but while you're working offshore, you can actually stay in shape and and stay on top of your golf game. Um, what else about um, living quarters would people may not uh, think about? Listening to this podcast would be one of them because uh, internet back in the day was it was hard to come by. Now the the new vessels and the new mindset that the operators are under, they're providing free Wi-Fi in the rooms or at least in the common areas. Uh, there are some operators out there that still don't allow free Wi-Fi out there. You have to go to the to the internet cafe or whatever. But when I was offshore, you didn't you didn't have Wi-Fi. You you spent your time plugged into a machine, on tower off tower whenever you get some some free time to check Facebook or write a letter to the family. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting because that's um, back when I used to go, that was actually one of the limits is the only connectivity was typically a VSAT connection or, or, or satellite connection. And they didn't have a lot of bandwidth and they didn't and they had a lot of latency. And so the the operating company used it for its business systems. And there's no way in heck they would have allowed somebody to, to surf the Internet on it. So that's, it's cool that that's changing. Yeah, I think the VSAT card I had when I wanted to call home is $5 a minute. And that was just uh, on my birthday. I wanted to call my mom and tell her hi. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Patrick, is that is that all over the world, or is that just in the Gulf Gulf of Mexico, or, or what? It's all over the world now. It's I've been I've been on rigs in the, in Asia and Australia, the Middle East. Well, actually, not the Middle East, well, Af- Africa. Um, if you want to lump those two in, and now it's it's common practice. You'll get Wi-Fi in your rooms. It's it's slow, and you're you're not really downloading a lot, but you can go check things. You can you know iPhones have the text feature. You can. Yeah, you shouldn't FaceTime because that's that slow as all, all get out. So sort of like the bandwidth you have on an airplane, right? Something you can send emails and texts, but you just can't watch YouTube. Yeah, for sure. And they, they try and limit the uh, you know the, the streaming music and videos, which a lot of guys on Tower, they'll, they'll plug into Pandora or, or some other music service and start playing. Well, they try and crack down on that because you're eating up a lot of bandwidth when you're just streaming. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't even know that was out there. I mean, that just makes it so much um, you know, easier and better to work offshore. It's it's not bad anymore, but it's, the thing is, there's always different levels of Wi-Fi you have out there. You've got the crew Wi-Fi that, that's open to everybody, and it's pretty slow. And then you've got the office systems that are that are a lot faster. And if you can get a friend that knows one of the office systems password, and you get on that that system, it's, it's a lot faster. It's good to know people when you go offshore, not just to take what they give you. Yeah, that's actually funny. It's it's good to know people no matter where you are. So, um, uh, moving over to our news article, I thought this was interesting. You know, this is the HS and E show, so the E stands for environmental, um, and this is a, a, a news article on the um, artificial reef program that's going on in the, the Gulf of Mexico. And a lot of people don't know that a lot of times when you have these rigs out there and it's um, and they reach uh, end of life, the the owners of these rigs a lot of times will donate them to create these artificial reefs, and they will clean them up. They'll cut them up and they'll lay them down on, on the on the sea floor, which now you have a place for coral to start attaching itself, sponges to start attaching itself, and once that starts happening, you start building this whole uh, ecological system that attracts small fish and then attracts bigger fish to feed on the smaller fish, and you end up making this man-made reef which helps the environment. Um, I've been lucky enough to actually scuba dive a couple of them, and it's it is just gorgeous. And I mean, what a cool thing that the oil and gas industry does is is that whole rigs to reef program. I would say a lot of people don't know that there are there there are good things you can throw over the side and in this case sink a whole an entire vessel because they do build these artificial reefs for the or the actually the sea life builds the artificial reef around the structure you sink and like you said Mark they they cut them up but I've seen full videos of them scuttling entire vessels they'll and it's a it's a controlled sinking so they they want them to lay and actually be tourist attractions for people that want to go scuba dive but also provide the uh, the marine environment for the sea life to, to thrive in. Yeah, so we're actually helping the environment, which I just think is awesome. It's interesting. Here in Texas, we've had over 140 petroleum platforms uh, found not a new purpose as marine habitats in the, in the whole Texas artificial reef program. And Louisiana has the same thing going on. So does Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. Yeah, there's actually a, a good video of the uh, Texas A&M uh, Galveston's campus, um, their first ship, the Texas Clipper, they made it into an artificial reef, and there's a video on YouTube where you can watch. It's it's off to in the distance, but you can just see them intentionally sinking a vessel in the Gulf of Mexico to make a reef. Yeah, we'll have to throw it in the show notes because I'd, I'd actually like to watch that myself. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So this is a, a, a good segue to our Red Wing safety tip of the week. Red Wing safety tip of the week. Um, this one's going to be a little bit different in the fact that it's it's a bit of a hack um, as far as working offshore. Um, a an AB was doing this. I, I didn't know why he was carrying around a piece of rope, just a six to seven foot length of rope. And I thought he was doing a job with it, but he always had this piece of rope. And I, I started watching him and he, seeing it in practice, and he, he told me about it. All he would do is tie a, a square knot in it so you make a circle. And if he was carrying a heavy bucket, that circle would go around one end of the handle and throw it on his shoulder. So now he's not leaning to one side and bending down with his arm to, to pick this heavy piece of equipment up or heavy bucket up. He was actually putting the weight on his shoulder through that rope. Like I said, he, all he did was carry around a six, seven foot, foot piece of rope as part of his, his normal attire, throw it on a, on a bucket or a heavy piece of equipment, and it really saves your back. And it was a great little, like I said, a little hack, little tip to, to do when you're when you're on these remote sites. Yeah, and then the other thing that pops in my head, if he if his hand accidentally slips, that bucket's not gonna fall. Yeah, it is a secondary uh, mode uh, of a retention for him. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, you watch the guys that work on those towers and all those tools are tied off. So even if they drop it, it's not gonna, you know, come down and hurt somebody. So yeah, that, that's actually, that's kind of old school, but that's a really good tip. Yeah, I thought I thought I'd share with the guys. If you're working in a, at a site where you're you're humping a lot of heavy equipment, keep a and and go synthetic, go soft synthetic. He always had a Manila piece of lines. It was easy to, to find. You just get a new one every day. Uh, you'll save yourself a little bit of pain to get in, get a synthetic one. Yeah, uh, awesome safety tip. All right, so Patrick, what's uh, uh, this show's topic? I would like to talk about uh, your environmental incidents. LOPC, loss of primary containment, versus your LOCE, or loss of, con- loss of containment to environment. And to, to set it up, the difference between the two of them, loss of containment to the environment is what everybody thinks of a spill. A, you actually lose some bit of petroleum base, you know, a, a fluid um, to the ground, to the sea. It leaves its containment and it's in the environment. A loss of primary containment is a little bit different, and it's that it's the primary, it's the P in that word that really gets a lot of people because if you have a valve or a hose with a drip pan and you get a leak, anything that lands in that drip pan is technically a loss of primary containment because your drip pan is a secondary retention method. Yeah, it makes total sense. It gets a lot of, a lot of people don't like it if, you're, if your numbers are measured against this LOPC because a pinhole link leak a drip out of a hose, all these little bitty things. And they, they'll put a volume on it sometimes. Sometimes it'll be if it's less than a liter, don't worry about it. If it's less than a, a tablespoon. But um, the good thing about these LOPCs being tracked is they're leading indicators. Right. And Mark, you and I talked about in a previous episode, the metrics, the leading indicators that are being tracked, how is the industry changing? And I think this is a, it's a good path to go. And I know a lot of people are going to hate me for saying that, but it is a leading indicator. If you have a, a hose that's chafing on one side it, it's rubbing and you get a pinhole leak or you get a, a small drip that's a great indicator that either that location or that hose or that operation is a potential for a, a, a major catastrophe if that hose breaks and you spill any number of fluids out onto the deck or onto the uh, it goes over the side and then you, now you have a an environmental incident then you have to re- report it up the chain all the way to the regulatory bodies these LOPCs aren't exactly regulated it's it's more of an internal metric or it's an internal metric imposed by an operator on a contractor but it is a leading indicator and it 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 will prevent your 
loss of contaminants to the environment, your environmental spills, if you can identify these trouble spots early. Yeah, and you know, Patrick, that applies across the whole industry. So in the, in the midstream part of the market, the pipeline companies, it's one of the way they accept, they assess their risk is the LOPCs. Um, and it helps them reduce that risk, right? Because they, they now know where they need to concentrate the efforts. Uh, same thing goes on in downstream in the refineries. So, and, the, and for them, they're also looking at the uh, same thing with gas releases, right? Not just liquids. So it's, it's, a, it's a topic that you're right. A lot of people in the industry don't like it because they're measured on it in some way, but it is something important. And it's something that's, that's relatively new. As this industry evolves and as we get better and operate more safely and more environmentally responsibility, indicators like this are become more and more important. And, and it should be used as exactly as you're saying, as a, as a positive thing, as something you can look for. And that gets back to culture. If you're, if you're constantly rejecting these new ideas because it, it seems to hurt you, but in the long run, it will actually save you a lot of headache because you don't want to have these spills in the environment. And exactly like you said in a refinery, if you don't, you don't want a, a flammable gas getting out, that's an environmental spill, and that's a safety hazard. You know, if, it, if that gas reaches an ignition source, that could cause a lot of trouble for that refinery. So these LOPCs are great leading indicators. Let's fix this problem, and then look, let's look for other problems that meet this similar criteria. Yeah, you know, in some ways, you could almost look at it like a near miss, right? So we spilled three ounces. We caught it, right? But if we wouldn't have caught it, we might have spilled 300,000 barrels, you know? Um, so, you know, from, from the outside looking in, I think it's something that organizations need to adopt and make their own and learn how to use it in a positive way, like you said. Absolutely, Mark. And that's, that's the thing is, is spinning it positively. Look at what we prevented by catching this, this small problem. We can, we can make improvements, we can make changes, and your rig should be rewarded for finding these loss of primary containments, however big or small, as long as they, if they don't get to the environment, that should be considered a win. Yeah. So let me ask you. So this is only measuring things that are harmful, right? So what about if, if you had an unexpected release of something like just plain fresh water? Would that count? That, that's, that's a great point. Yes. If, if, you're, if you're tracking these metrics, your, your hose, your pipe, your, your riser, your standby, everything should be lumped into the same. If you, if you spill drill water, which is fresh water, if you spill brine, which is just salty water, you should track that too because it is a leading indicator of either a, a system breakdown that could be your inspection process your hose maintenance your hose tracking register those are showing you areas that could be potential problems great that it only happened with a a non-toxic non-pollutant you know a freshwater source but it is a leading indicator you want to know when these problems are they're peeking their head out so you can stop them before it becomes a, an environmental issue yeah, you know, I'd be curious. I don't have the data on this. I'm not, I don't even know if it's out there yet, but I'd be curious if this, there's a correlation between this and recordable injuries or lost time incidences. Well, you bring up a very good point about the, the data because this isn't really something that's tracked in the industry as a, as, a, as a standard. A lot of operators and a lot of contractors and vendors will have their own metrics for this. I mentioned earlier the volume can change, which constantly does if you, you get a a group that just will not sit with this LOPC. We, we don't agree that it's a good metric. Then you'll get the get management to loosen their, their restriction. All right, well, if it's less than a liter, we won't track. If it's just dripping in the drip pan because that's what drip pans are there to do, don't worry about it. But you're still losing the information. If you have a leak, if you have a drip, if you same thing with drops and everything else. If you're ignoring data because it doesn't meet a certain threshold, 
you're still ignoring the data. I would I would say capture that data, capture the small leaks, capture the fresh water that, that spills, and figure out what to do with it after the fact. Don't punish the guys working on this equipment unless there's a, there's just a, a lapse. Pipes aren't getting inspected. We're ignoring things. Fresh water is leaking from a pipe that's sitting in bunding that's supposed to be there, but it's just getting ignored. That's That's something completely different. But if it's viewed as a hey, we caught something because it was a leak or it was, a, it was a, you know, not staying in its primary containment, its hose, its, its pit, whatever it is. It's a catch. Treat it as a catch. Fix it and move on. Yeah, and, you know, I, I know the data is probably not out there for this too, but I have to believe that, that tracking this type of thing has to increase reliability and, and, and you know, on-time performance. And Yeah, and you, you don't get a lot of information from the uh, the equipment manufacturers. They don't like to say this hose is good for you know 10,000 hours in operation because it's it's hard data to measure because these these pieces of equipment are out there in the real world with variables but if you're tracking your own data you can get a sense of these types of hoses at this pressure in this operation in this region that we're operating in typically last x number of days hours uh, cycles and then let's let's change them out. You know, use some statistical analysis to figure out. All right, if we change them out at this state, we'll catch, you know, ninety nine percent of the errors. And you know, the one bad hose that gets through, hopefully doesn't. But we'll we'll deal with it then. So use this data to proactively go out and try and figure out, like you said, what the, what I guess the the time to failure. Yeah, and you know, I I, I would think a lot of other industries has figured out this predictive maintenance, right? Um, I would think in this case, if we gathered, if we took the time to gather enough data and did the analysis on it, we could do the same thing with with things like hoses and belts and pumps and valves and everything else. You know, what's what what is this valve in this condition good for before we start having a, a failure rate? Um, I, you know, that, I think once again, that's something that's probably coming to our industry as we adopt big data and analytics, even things like predictive maintenance and hoses. I think we'll get there. Yeah, big data will change this, and I, I think for the better. Yeah, so if when you're looking at companies that are doing this well, um, is do you see a difference in um, where the companies, the size of companies, and where the companies are from? So, are U.S. companies, big U.S. companies, better at this than small U.S. companies, or you know, are big uh, NOCs better at this or worse than this than the European companies? I would have to say the the big guys, the big operators, are the ones leading this. Um, that's where I first heard about it was from an operator who decided to start tracking this metric. It, and they're they're just under under a, a tighter scrutiny. They they want to make sure they catch things before they become environmental incidents. So they've they've implemented this. It's everybody working for them that's getting it pushed down. And we've never tracked this metric before. And all that does is hurt us. And what does it matter if it if it spills on deck or in the in the slot bucket? It it doesn't hurt the environment. Why am I tracking this? Why am I being punished for it? So it's definitely the big guys that are coming out here and saying this is a metric we want to track. We're trying to be proactive. There's just a there's, I think there's a, a, a gap between operators as far as picking a, a threshold, a, a, the criteria that makes it an LOPC. Is it, is it going to be a volume? Is it going to be anything that leaks out of its containment? Because you have ships with bilges in the engine room, and the bilge is designed to catch slop and oil. And, and I haven't seen those tracked at, this, at the same level as anything up on main deck. Because even if you fill up the engine room you're with, with any kind of oil, it's, it's going to stay within the, within the vessel. And I would say that goes downstream too. If you have an engine room that has bonding inside the the equipment around the around the generators, you're probably not tracking that information. But if it's out in the environment, you probably do 
hey, let's highlight this hose if it busted, but don't worry about anything inside. Yeah, and I'm actually looking at a metric right here. So hats off to BP. Um, it looks like in BP's lower 48 business, so that's basically a continental United States, uh, over the last two years, they've reduced their LOPCs from 361 in a year to 235 by tracking this, which just goes to show you what you're talking about. That if you track this and proactively implement it, even a company as large as BP can make a significant impact to the, the number of um, uh, LOPCs that they have. Yeah, it's it's great, and I'm sure that that those those tracked LOPCs they can they can figure out how much that they've reduced in their in their environmental impact. That changing out these hoses and pa valves and pipes that are that are failing at the small level before something big happens. Yeah, and and folks, we'll throw this uh, link in the show notes as well, so you can see what BP's doing. And I guarantee, if BP's doing it, uh, all their competitors are, are on track to be doing it as well. Absolutely. All right, so great discussion around something that, you know, until Patrick brought it up, brought it up I had never really thought of, but, you know, our ability to control what's released to the environment is getting better and better. We're tracking more and more of it um, because of changes in culture and, and, and the use of technology. So I, I think it's all good stuff. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from the guys operating, <laughs> you know, operating the equipment, telling me how much they hate me for promoting these LOPCs. But just think of them as a leading indicator, guys, that they're there to help you before something big happens. Yeah. So perfect time to bring in, um, uh, talk a little bit about our sponsor, you know, hats off to Red Wing for picking up sponsorship of the show. We have a, a great relationship with them. They're a fantastic company and they're doing something really cool for, for our listeners. And what are they giving away, Patrick? An awesome offshore bag. This thing is great. Yeah. And, and, and then let's not call it an offshore bag, I guess. It's great for going to the site. It's great for, for a quick trip in the airport. It's, it's a great bag. Yeah. So it'll fit in the uh, compartment in the, uh, in the airplane. It'll fit on a chopper. It'll fit in a crew boat. It'll fit in the backseat of your F-150. Um, you know, it goes everywhere. I use mine a lot. Uh, we get a lot of compliments on it. And, and I think I've mentioned this on past shows. It, it's actually in such high demand that people are offering us cash for these, which, which we don't take. The only way you can get one of these really cool bags is to go sign up for it. And we draw one lucky winner a week. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've noticed that we haven't released any winners. That's because Patrick and I recorded five podcasts up front. So we haven't actually pulled a winner yet. So on the, our sixth show, you should hear our first winner. But you can get ahead of everybody else and go sign up. It's really simple. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Sign up, and once a week, we'll pull your name out. Now, you can enter as many times as you want. Um, but once you once you win a bag, that's it. You can't win anymore. Um, and that, uh, as far as the legalese, uh, no purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. But I'm telling you, people, if you listen to our show, you want one of these bags. And get in early. There's there's we're a new show, so our listenership is on the rise. If you want to, you know, path of least resistance is enter now. Yeah, Patrick, don't we know somebody that used that strategy to win one of these bags? Exactly. That was my strategy with your uh, with your other podcast. I was my my thought process was this is a new show. There's probably not going to be any entries. Better do it. I got to do it at least this week. And Patrick actually is one of our original winners on oil and gas this week of the Red Wing bag. So uh, take his advice, go sign up and increase your chances of winning. All right, let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn group. If you're a fan of the show or if you're not a fan of the show, let us know. Um, we're putting this show together for you, for the people that have an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Um, reach out to us in our LinkedIn group. Um, it's called Oil and Gas Global Network. Um, you can just search for OGGN and LinkedIn would come up. 
And it's the it's the LinkedIn group for all of our podcasts, uh, all of our older podcasts and our newer podcasts that are coming out. But it's also a way for you to connect with your peers, people that listen to the podcast, people that work in the oil and gas industry or have an interest in the industry. And it, it's I've seen all kinds of stuff. I've seen um, you know salespeople trade contacts. I've seen uh, people help other people understand parts of the industry. You know, Patrick put some good stuff out there. Um, every now and then you'll see me go out and, and help people. I've actually helped people try to find jobs through LinkedIn group. So if you listen to podcasts, this is a companion to the podcast. Go join the LinkedIn group. It takes you know just a couple of minutes, and now you're plugged in. Patrick and I have some uh, events coming up that we're not going to talk about now, but the way that you could get invited to it if you want to go is by joining the LinkedIn group. That'll be the first group that will know about the uh, live events that we're going to be doing. And then, since this is a new show, we need your help. Please, please, please give us a review. If you give us a review, it helps us rank in the search engines and rank in iTunes so that people can find us, so that people that have an interest in HSNE oil and gas can, can, can find us. And Patrick, how long does it take to leave a review? Less than a minute, I would say. Yeah, so less than a minute, we can use your help. Do me a personal favor, go leave us a review. Then if you made it this far, do us a favor, share the show. Anybody that you work with, anybody that you're related to, uh, anybody that um, you know that have an interest in HSNE and oil and gas, let them know about our show. You know, share it on your social platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. We're trying to get the word out and we need your help, our audience. And so, you know, with that, it's probably about time to get out of here. You ready to shut down, Patrick? Yeah, let's call it. All right. Don't be afraid to give up the good and go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai.